Welcome to day 11 of Insights and Intuitions here at Pondering AI. Today, Giselle Moda reflects on putting inclusion to work. Well, hello, Giselle. Welcome back to the show. We're thrilled to have you. I'm thrilled, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. So it's been a minute since we last spoke. So this first question may be unfair, but I'm interested in what have been some of the most consequential developments or changes that you've observed in how we are thinking about work and the future of work of late? Mm. I think some of the most consequential ones have been definitely around how society is evolving and changing and how politics have become a bigger part of the future of work conversation and basically the evolution of work. So now the way we look at work, you know, in humans and people that continues to expand to think about the nuances of people. And so people are having to stop and say, wait a minute. Do we allow people to self-identify in certain ways? So it's very interesting just to see how politics and society, it's all merging and mixing together. And then work is changing. And now we're thinking about generative AI and even how it's used in the workplace needs to really be thoughtful about policies, discrimination, bias, all of those things. And and so you you work, in fact, I think your current title is is around product inclusion. And inclusion can be quite a bit broader than avoiding discrimination and, and thinking about how do we make things accessible and usable for a broader swath of personas. How are you seeing folks address or approach the idea of inclusion today? And is our embrace of, of AI tools in all of its glory and problematic states helping or hindering that work? That's that's a loaded question, Kimberly, but I will say that there's a lot to it. First of all, you're right. The inclusion is not just about mitigation of bias and discrimination issues, because quite honestly, where compliance ends, sometimes inclusion comes in, plays with it, and then goes a little bit further. For mm-hmm. example, we have anti-discrimination laws around the world, and it still doesn't mean that people are covered at the workplace, or we have ADA compliance you know, adults with disabilities acts and all of that. And it doesn't mean that still today everything is accessible. And there's a point where it kind of takes off, where you get away from what's legislatively passed and what's permissible. And then there's a point where creativity, nuance, consideration comes into place. So quick examples are a card that you use for your financial transactions needs to be accessible. But there are companies out there who have done something as simple as creating notches and grooves and tactile elements on a card so that Mm. someone who's low vision or blind will be able to have an uh, agency over their financial experience where they don't have to ask someone, hey, is this my debit card? Is this my prepaid? Is this my Mm. credit card? They can tell themselves because they could feel it. And some of the work that we're doing is expanding race and ethnicity inside of our self-identification features. Again, no official legislation that you have to do that, but we're doing something as simple as, for example, separating all the clusters of identity of being Asian. So that's going the extra mile. Now, Gen AI has the ability sometimes to hurt or to help. So the hurting part comes in that if the data itself wasn't already including all different types of representation of people, for example, AI on a video, screening a person and determining if you're competent or not. And if one of those assessments is to literally examine what a smile looks like and see if someone is friendly, What does a smile look like? I mean, could it be that someone, their facial features are a little bit different or the person has autism and they don't 
give that eye contact or I've always said it before. I always get the chuckle, but what if you have Botox, right? And you're not, your smile is not all the way smiling that particular moment or whatever it is that the data has been trained on, does it identify what a smile is in different experiences? And so if you're using generative AI to come up with things and generate content or maybe make assessments AI itself, then you may be missing a whole bunch of people because you didn't design it with nuance in mind where it can help is actually cases where it can hold people accountable to where the bias may have crept up because it can sort through systems and it could say, hey, this is like a report card or an audit of where instances came up where this factor was being used and it's biased and you might want to fix this. Or AI can detect exclusionary language where you might be using gender language that's not appropriate or you might be using language that is not friendly of people with disabilities, for example. And it may be able to tell you, you, you should change this in your policy. You should change this in, the, in your email. And it could fix that as it generates content for us. So lots of different use cases that I can think. But at the basis of it, if we don't get the design right from the core and the data right at the core and get the people making those designs to have a more broad understanding of the world and humanity, then we're in for some issues if we don't address that. And, and when we think about approaching design in this way, are there a few key areas of focus that require more attention? Yeah, I think language, because when it comes to generative AI, it's really built a lot on large language models and it uses context. Mm -hmm. Context, for example, when you're training and you're using language to understand a sentence, for a computer to understand a sentence, it's going to use the words around a word to bring context into that sentence. So what are we talking about when we're talking about uh, human and you want to apply a characteristic to that word human and the adjectives around it or the words around it? What? How does the computer understand what you're really talking about? Context clues. And so sometimes what we've learned is that data around certain words are very bias. They're generalizing in a harmful mm. way. So for example, when you do ch chat GPT itself and you ask it to give you a random association of names, their favorite food and where they're located in the world, what you'll tend to find is that there's not really a randomization there. There's actually someone whose name might sound Indian gets associated with living in India and their favorite food is curry. <laughs> Where honestly, that wasn't very random. It's in you told ChatGPT to be random and it wasn't. So associations, the context around certain words, how they've been trained, whether it's someone's religion, their gender, their race, their age, their disability, it all comes around certain things that these data have been trained on. And there's problems in there. So I think language and context needs to be addressed for sure. So as you look forward into 2024 and you're thinking about inclusive design and the future of work, what do you expect to take center stage next year? Hmm. I think we're probably going to see more space around being intentional with what we were just kind of talking about a moment ago. It's going to force us to really examine the nuances and things. For example, if you do start a prompt or if something started a prompt where it was talking about women and it is because of a healthcare use case or it's because of, you know, anything at work, anything in, in any industry that might need to consider a gender, for example, for whatever it's about to output. We have to be forced to understand that what is woman, though? 
Like even uh, it sounds so basic, but what is that? And we understand that women can be so many different types of things. You may be, you know, I just came from a conference that was for women and non-binary people. And I believe the reason why they did that was because they understand that people who are born assigned female at birth, you could still identify as being non-binary. They wanted to welcome all kinds of people to the conference and reach that demographic as well. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is woman? What is race? What is gender? What are all of these things? What is disability? Is disability always just kind of under the protected considerations of what the ADA has put out there or what a particular country would identify? Or is it also, if you're like me who has dyslexia and you might not consider yourself to be quote unquote disabled, but you do need accommodations and you do need certain things. So I think what will take center stage is us having to take a step back from what we think is an absolute, what we think is binary, what we think is black and white, what we think, and really take a moment to consider the complexity of things and how maybe sometimes we even neutralize some of that where it makes sense in our use cases. Do you have to get so particular in some cases? Sometimes Mm -hmm. you do. And sometimes can you be more generalized? And for folks that are listening and saying that would be fantastic. I I wish I had the time to do that. I wish the market, I wish my company, I wish whatever the entity would allow me, but I, I just don't have the time or the space that that requires what would you say to that and, and what would your recommendations for what they should prioritize and how they can build this in in a practical and effective Absolutely. way? Absolutely. Start small. And that might mean, because we've been talking about all these different things that make people who they are, but start small. Like, is your product available to people who are left-handed? Start yeah. there, right? Does your software make uh, considerations for people who speak a language or read it from right to left and not just left to right languages. Like literally are your buttons mirrored? Is the language and the the way that things are set up, are they set up in that way, right? So that's some, so start small. And maybe it's, you know, disability is a huge area. So maybe you start with people who are low vision and blind and you design with that in mind. Or maybe it's for people who are hearing impaired or have hearing loss or, you know, are deaf start there. And so maybe even take several more steps back and start just with education and awareness at your company on why this stuff matters. What does it look like? And then start there, develop the data that shows you that your client demographic would benefit from this. And then ultimately the revenue of your company would benefit because you would extend your reach Mm -hmm. to more people. And so start small and then pick a use case and follow that. Yeah, I love that. And I had the opportunity to speak recently with Yona Velker and he had some great examples where designing with disability seen and unseen in mind actually leads to a much more robust and, and broad product set where we tend to think about, I'm going to design a product or a system and then I'm going to think about how to adjust it to accommodate I agree. It's true. And then you also can create things like we were mentioning a moment ago about uh, what if you don't identify as having a disability, but you just want to, you know, let your company know that you need some sort of accommodation, regardless of how you, your label shows up, or if you want to be labeled or not, then everything should be accommodation friendly for everyone, right? Start there. And so then shape kind of switch up the system. Awesome. Well, just start is what I would take away from that. So that's fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. It was uh, great to talk to you again. Thanks, Kimberly. 12 Days of Pondering AI continues tomorrow. Subscribe now for more insights into what's happening now and what to expect next in the ever-fascinating world of AI.